0: Welcome to this mini-series. This is the first episode on the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us. This is uh, also an important sacrament, as all seven of the sacraments are. The anointing of the sick, though, I think particularly, perhaps, is one of the more misunderstood, and we want to clarify not only theologically to have a better kind of foundation as to what it is, what it does for us, why we should use it, why we should appreciate it, but also when we should use it, because this is something I find is rather misunderstood. Another reason for the confusion surrounding the sacrament is that it has various names that are pretty popular. A lot of people still use last rites or extreme unction or the anointing of the sick. These are three very common terms for it, but the way in which we're going to understand this sacrament is going to be basically understanding uh, understanding these terms as all speaking of the same sacrament, which is the reality even though When people mention last rites or extreme unction they oftentimes very much think that it must be given at the moment of death or shortly before the moment of death and so you wouldn't call the priest when somebody becomes gravely ill you only call them when they become so gravely ill that it's clear that they're not going to come out of that sickness and that's not quite how we need to understand the sacrament and so if we just take some of these or take these titles for this sacrament and understand that we're speaking of all of the same sacrament, they're not different things as some people might think, then hopefully it will help us to better understand regardless of whenever somebody uses one of these names or another, last rites or the extreme unction or the anointing of the sick, we'll all have a foundation of what that person is actually referring to, whether that person knows that he's referring to this or not. The reason that it was always given This adjective last or extreme, and extreme is uh, perhaps oddly sounding to us in English, but it comes from the last word, excuse me, comes from the word from the Latin that pretty much is translated last, but in the Latin... It is a a word that we get the the word extreme from and so extreme unction is almost like a, a, a closer Transliteration directly from the Latin, but in essence it simply means the last anointing But it's not because it is at the moment of death that it is called this rather last or extreme This adjective is used because it's the last oil of the three sacred oils used in the context of the sacraments so we have the oil of catechumens. That's received before receiving baptism. You have the oil of chrism. That is received after receiving baptism. It's also something that you would receive for the sake of confirmation. And then we have, of course, the oil of the infirmed. And this oil is used for the anointing of the sick, or the last rite, or the extreme unction. Again, extreme unction just meaning last unction or last anointing. Referring to the oil, the last of the three that are used. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states, quote, One of the seven sacraments, also known as the sacrament of the dying, administered by a priest to a baptized person who begins to be in danger of death because of illness or old age through prayer and the anointing of the body with the oil of the sick. End quote. Let me read that one more time. One of the seven sacraments, also known as the sacrament of the dying, administered by a priest to a baptized person who begins to be in the danger of death because of illness or old age, through prayer and the anointing of the body with the oil of the sick. End quote. This sacrament is a completion of the sacrament of of penance and, in a way, the whole Christian life. It is a complement and consummation of the sacrament of reconciliation, or of penance. Extreme unction is a sacrament of the new law instituted by Jesus Christ, in which the sick who are seriously ill by the anointing with holy oil and by the prayer of the priest receive the grace of God for the good of their souls and often also of their bodies. End quote. That was a quote from Paul and Prouse in their theological works. The reason why I wanted to emphasize from the Catechism noticing when and for what purposes the anointing of a sick is used, is because it's oftentimes misunderstood. The more that we have a foundation theologically of this sacrament, the easier it will be for us to, uh, to, to, to understand when it should be or should not be used. Because this sacrament is oftentimes, I think, misused, unfortunately. It's oftentimes given when anybody pretty much wants it. And a lot of times the people come for the sacrament because they have a lot of faith. And they know the sacraments are rich and are powerful and are glorious. And that is awesome. I want to emphasize how good that is when people come and ask for the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. That should not stop. But the priests should make sure that the sacrament is given only within the context of the purposes for which we have the sacrament. Christ has instituted all of the seven sacraments but he's given a time and a way in which and, and 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 the purpose the excuse me the people for whom all of these sacraments are to be given therefore they cannot and should not be cheapened by giving the sacrament much more frequently or to people that are not properly disposed or in a way that is not proper to what has been given to us and passed on from holy mother church It is a very dangerous thing when we take these rich seven sacraments and we cheapen them by giving them to people who are not properly disposed to them, who are not proper recipients of the sacrament. So for instance, if somebody comes to me and says, my tooth is hurting real bad, I have this massive toothache, can I get the anointing of the sick? No, most certainly not. That's crazy. That's not what the sacrament is for. It's great that that person wants to receive help from God and understands and believes in the richness and the power of the sacraments. All of that is beautiful. But that is not the purpose of the sacrament. And it is a way to cheapen the sacrament, to give a person who is not properly disposed, who is not beginning to be in danger of death, by illness or old age, the sacrament. So what does that mean that is what we want to investigate, because there's two different extremes that we want to avoid as we continue to speak about this. Once we dive into a greater look historically, traditionally, scripturally, and the theological foundation having been built by form and matter and these kinds of things, then we really want to do a good job, hopefully we will do a good job, with making sure we don't lay on either of these extremes. Some people, they won't call the priest to come give their family member the anointing of the sick or the, the extreme unction, et cetera, until moments before death. And oftentimes it's too late when that occurs. They wait so long because they think, no, it's, it's called the last rites or it's called the, the extreme unction and therefore it's only for the last moments. And that's not the case. And that's a very dangerous thing because this sacrament is so good and so holy, especially for those that are nearing death. That it's something that we should long for and ensure to the best that we possibly can that every family member and friend that we have has access to that sacrament. Never wait too long. On the other hand, though, other people want to get their sacrament, as I said, for a toothache or because they're going uh, under any kind of anesthesia for any kind of surgery or for any kind of illness or for any kind of pain or for any kind of bodily harm. And none of that is direct Proper purpose for the sacrament so we never want to give the sacrament too frequently And we never want to hold too tightly to the sacrament and not give it when it is due when it should be given So we want to thread that needle in a sense and land on the proper time and the proper person uh, Always giving very generously the sacrament to those people Let us look at sacred scripture and sacred tradition concerning the sacrament The book of James, chapter 5, 14 through 16, quote, Is anyone sick among you? He should summon the presbyters of the church, and they should pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven, end quote. In the name of the Lord, this comes directly from this scripture. Again, They should pray over him and anoint him with the oil in the name of the Lord. But this in the name of the Lord is not only or has not always been understood only to emphasize or heighten the power and the efficacy of the prayer by praying in the name of Christ. But rather, not only is it that, but it has also been understood more or less to say by the command of Christ or through the power of the Lord. In other words, that this sacrament is something that Christ, again, has instituted. And we can even see that scripturally. Clearly, this sacrament is something that is directly evident in scripture. Is anyone sick among you? So it's for the sick. Summon the presbyters. It's only to be done by the priests. They should pray over them and anoint them. Anointing always refers to oil. With oil, just in case, we don't know. In the name of the Lord, and the prayer of the faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Also an important part. In the book of Mark, secondly, in chapter 6, verse 13, we see, quote, They drove out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them, end quote. Now, this has some discrepancy. This has not always been understood as directly referring to the anointing of the sin. Many people say that this refers to the charismata, or the charismatic gifts given by the Holy Spirit for the sake of helping others, leading them towards Christ. Certain gifts are given, for instance, if you remember, the Apostle's After having the descent of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost and other disciples, etc., who were in that room having so many graces poured upon them, but particularly, at least, the apostles then went out and spoke in many languages that they had never studied before. This resulted in a great amount of souls entering into Holy Mother Church and the family of God through the sacraments. So although that is true, that people will argue that it's not about the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, this verse, chapter 6, verse 13 in Mark, that is speaking about the charismata, that people were healed, that, in fact, one of the gifts was to be able to heal. Perhaps that is true, even though it does directly mention anointing with oil. But it doesn't even need to be argued one way or the other, even if we want to say, because of contextual clues, that it's clear that this is not about the anointing of the sick, we can still understand, and many have in the past, that it's at least a prefigurement of or a pointing to the sacrament that Christ would then institute for the sake of the sick and for the sake of anointing those who were sick for various purposes, like increasing their grace and consolation of soul and strengthening them in their final battle, etc. As we look towards the sacred tradition and the early fathers, there are only a few writings from the early fathers about this sacrament, but this is probably because it wasn't in high demand considering the incredible amount of martyrdoms as well as all of the tortures and persecutions that were occurring as a result of the persecution of the church as a whole in the first three centuries of her birth, of her existence. So keep in mind that it wouldn't be abnormal for there to be less writings about this sacrament than perhaps baptism and others because so many people were being put to death in a way in which they were not able to receive the anointing of the sick. Origin uh, a very famous early father, who unfortunately broke away from uh, orthodoxy, from proper uh, understanding and truth uh, in various ways, but still and nevertheless was rather significant and influential in many of his writings that were very helpful and accurate of passing on that which we have uh, from scriptures and understanding that properly, but also in kind of building a, a good foundation of what is true and right in Holy Mother Church, so he died in 254 A.D. Again, just trying to mention how early he lived, and he mentioned that this sacrament—he uh, mentioned the sacrament as a means by which sins can be forgiven, even that early. Also, we have Saint Chrysostom, John Montaguni, uh, Saint Chizarios of Arles, all mention uh, this, this sacrament as well in their writings. So we certainly have early fathers writing about this sacrament. We clearly have Scripture helping us to understand its importance. However, we need to acknowledge, I think, that unlike baptism, unlike the Eucharist, etc., that it's not vastly popular in uh, various kinds of literature about it, both from Scripture nor from a uh, sacred tradition. But we have all that we need most certainly to know. Christ has instituted this, and that it is a sacrament one of the seven, and it is very rich and powerful as a result. So theologically, then, what is the matter? What is the form of this sacrament? The matter is pure olive oil that has been blessed by the bishop, even though in times of great need and danger of death, a priest who perhaps is without his oil of the infirm that was blessed by the bishop is able to take pure olive oil and to bless that for the sake of Uh, the anointing of the sick. But this is only in times of need. It belongs to the bishop properly to uh, bless this oil. When these oils are blessed, just as a side note, is during Holy Week. So Holy Week, again, is the week leading into the Easter uh, of our Lord, the the resurrection of God from the dead. And so we have uh, all of this week, Monday through Sunday, that is... Uh, the holiest week of our calendar. Generally and traditionally on Thursday, but oftentimes in the U.S. at least, if not other places, uh, various dioceses, according to the bishop and his his needs and and understanding of the diocese, etc., he may choose to move it to Tuesday. So Holy Tuesday or Holy Thursday, regardless. Then we have what is called the Chrism Mass. The Chrism Mass is the mass where the bishop gathered with all of the priests of the diocese, traditionally or generally, ideally, Um, then receives the various oils that have been prepared by the people for the sake of consecrating them for the sake of the use of the sacraments throughout that entire year, until the next year, at which point then, all three of the sacred oils that would be used for the sacraments would be then blessed for that following year. So, we have three sacred oils that are blessed during the chrism mass. Of the most important is sacred chrism. That is the oil that is used after one is baptized, and the oil that is used at confirmation. But there's more oils as well. For instance, we have the oil of catechumens that is used before one receives baptism. And then we have the oil of the infirmed, and that is what is used for the anointing. Again, as we mentioned, extreme unction or last unction, last anointing, this refers to the last oil of the three that one would receive. Before you receive baptism, the oil of catechumens. After chrism, confirmation, chrism, towards the end of your life in grave danger of, uh, uh, or in grave illness, serious illness, that puts you, or begins to put you in the danger of death, that is the oil of the infirm, the last of the three. Traditionally as well, in the anointing of the sick, if you ever have a priest use the old rite for you at the anointing, it's the, the oil is going to be placed on, If possible, right, because of casts and various different difficulties and ailments of the persons, it's not always possible to do all of this, but you do the best that you can. The priest would anoint the eyes, the ears, the nostrils, the lips, the hands, and the feet, all with a very precious prayer about how God is one. Who, who who is anointing us? The Holy Spirit helping us, and that our body has been given to us to be set aside for the sake of the service of God. And so, the way in which we live out what God wants—that is very much a part of um, how we use our body. But today it has changed. So no longer is it this uh, this anointing of uh, several different body parts, but rather it's generally going to be the head and the hands the head and the hands. However, because of, again, various difficulties, perhaps somebody has two casts in their arm, their hands cannot be anointed, it's possible to anoint another part of your body. Also, depending on the illness, let's say somebody has um, stomach cancer, and I go into an anoint, and it's a man there who has stomach cancer, who is uh, kind of in the throes of death, uh, then I most certainly am able as well to anoint the stomach, of course, if, if, as long as it's not going to make him uncomfortable or cause any problems or anything like that. Um, so this is possible, but all of this in relation to decorum, right? So again, you would never go in and anoint somebody uh, in an uncomfortable or in a private area or something of the sort, especially you'd be more comfortable with women, the opposite gender, to ensure that you are helping them to remain modest and you're not putting them in an uncomfortable position, nor yourself. Or anything of the sort. But there is good in uh, using this oil and understanding that the oil is powerful, that it's not just a symbol, it's not just something that that, uh, that points to what is occurring, but rather it is an efficacious sign, that is a sacrament if you remember, an efficacious sign. And so the sign, the matter that is used is this oil that is the anointing of the various body parts, again generally the head and the hands nowadays, but that is effecting Uh, various realities within the soul. So the oil is useful. And therefore, there is good in anointing various parts of the body. The words that are used by the priest, the form, though, uh, as we will see, it's not necessary, it seems, uh, to have these exact words like it is necessary to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's a form that cannot be played with. However, when it comes to this anointing of the sick, as you notice we read from the book of James, there was no direct words that must be used. It was to pray in the name of the Lord. And so, these words are used as the church asks us to, quote, Through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy, there would be anointing of the head at that point, help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the hands at that point, end quote so through this holy anointing may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit however again as I said these words are not explicitly necessary there must be some kind of blessing and prayer from the priest over the person using uh, the the, the proper matter the oil. therefore it would seem to be even valid for the priest to not include the above words exactly though that would be uh, problematic, illicit and uh, improper to say the least, and even sinful, without a serious uh, reason to omit or change those words. What the church has given, we should stick to. Even when it's not absolutely uh, necessary for the sacrament to take place, we still should want the sacrament to be licit. That basically means that it can still be valid, in other words, the sacrament is given; it's performed. That person receives those gifts, but I can do it in an illicit way if I just change all kinds of other things. So, for instance, when it comes to like the sacrament of penance, if somebody comes to me and confesses their sins and they're contrite and they're they're truly sorry and, and desire uh, to, to to never do those sins again, and I give them absolution, but I change all of the words for the exception of "I absolve you." from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's valid. That's all that's necessary. But I still changed the words of absolution unnecessarily. And why? If there's no serious reason. It is a part of my obedience to the Church, Holy Mother Church, that she gives me the sacraments and I perform them to the best that I can according to the ways in which she desires because she is giving me the desires of God. So, All that to say, again, the form is not exact in this sacrament. However, we shouldn't change it because what the church has given us, she has given us. Like Pilate says, what I have written uh, uh, is written, something of the sort. What are the effects of this sacrament? Also important. The sacrament confers grace and forgiveness of sin. Principally, the sacrament is meant for healing and strengthening of the soul. This sacrament presupposes sanctifying grace. It increases sanctifying grace and confers a claim to all the actual graces that flow from the sacrament. This includes an alleviation as well as strength. This sacrament is a comfort to the sick spiritually by exciting, quote, a great confidence in the divine mercy, end quote. But it can also be emotionally and even physically an alleviation and a form of consolation for them. It strengthens the soul to enable the recipient to bear more easily the pains, sorrows, and inconveniences of this illness, or the illness in which they have, as well to resist the attacks of the evil one. So, notice alleviation and strength. Not only the increase in sanctifying grace, which is something we find in all of the sacraments, or the giving of sanctifying grace for those sacraments that, uh, like baptism or confession, are for those that are outside of the state of grace, but Because this assumes or presumes that the person is in the state of grace, then it increases that uh, sanctifying grace that they have. In addition to this, though, alleviation and strength, and we don't just mean that spiritually, even though that is a part of it. And in fact, one of the reasons why it can help emotionally and physically is because if your spiritual life is strengthened and in better sorts, then you have a much better chance of your physical energy and and, and health to be increased as well, uh, along with your emotional state of mind. Think of something that's very detrimental. Think of perhaps one of these grave sins that you've committed in your past that can be something that wears on you, especially before you've actually confessed it. It can be something that wears on you. It doesn't just affect your spiritual life. It affects your emotional life. It affects your physical life. It affects several different elements and layers of your life. Because as human beings, we are one substance, body and soul. And so all of us, all of the parts of who we are are connected to the other parts. So as a result then, much good can come from this sacrament even beyond the spiritual goods that we see. And many priests have seen these goods occur. Many saints speak of the furious attacks of the evil one at the end of life. We need God's protection, strength, and comfort. Know that this sacrament is so important. It's so important, especially if you have family members or friends who are nearing death or who are in the danger of death by some serious illness know that you should give them this sacrament to protect them, to help them, to strengthen their souls, because Satan whether he has that soul already, then would be trying to protect that soul from conversion towards God, or if God has that soul, will come with everything that he's got in order to steal that soul from Satan. This is the last battlefield, in essence at the the moments of one's death and therefore, having this sacrament is invaluable it is incalculably beneficial for those who are able to receive it in a state of grace with proper disposition, it is so helpful. It is one of the greatest things, if not the greatest thing, that any family member can do for their loved one who is in the danger of death. As a result of of illness or old age, I want to reiterate, and hopefully later on uh, in these episodes, it will be clear as to why i kind of keep emphasizing and re-emphasizing those uh those lines we read at the beginning from the catechism speaking about when and who some uh, could receive this sacrament the anointing of the sick is also related to confirmation which gives strength for the battle of life because it offers strength for the final battle again think that both of these sacraments use oil so not only is this Sacrament anointed to the sacrament of penance very much because penance is this forgiveness of sins and the anointing of the sick is a type of healing sacrament. So penance heals us of not only the sins that we have in our soul through forgiveness, but it also heals a lot of the effects of the sin. So the anointing of the sick heals us in our soul and in the depths of our soul so that we are strengthened and able to fight more furiously and more fully against the evil one who seeks to take us from God. But also, this connection to confirmation. Confirmation is a strengthening, confirming sacrament. And likewise, anointing of the sick gives us this. The oil that is used, both in the anointing and confirmation, both help us to realize the importance of strength. Oil, at times, was even used in the past for, uh, let's say, athletes and maybe even soldiers to put on their muscles that were sore. It helped their, stre- the, their, their muscles to heal and to grow in, in, in strength rather than uh, to have more and more problems to grow weaker and then easier to tear apart or to pull a muscle and these kinds of things At least it was what is used for whether it worked. I would assume so a lot of their their kind of uh, Ways of helping using various natural products of, uh, of the world Were very beneficial, but at the same time it's not used at all that I know of nowadays uh, And so I don't know maybe medical advancement has helped us to understand that was perhaps useful or useless Therefore, we see that it is related to confirmation in its strength-giving elements and related to penance in its healing and comforting effects. Another effect of this sacrament, remission of temporal punishment. The Fathers and many other theologians teach that a significant effect of this sacrament is to keep a soul from purgatory. This does not mean that it remits all temporal punishments every time. However, martyrdom does remit all the temporal punishment. This sacrament is not the same as martyrdom. While we must continue to pray for the lost, we should also realize that those who receive this sacrament are very much helping us by bearing testimony to the gifts and the grace of God. Specifically in the way in which we die. This already likens us to Christ who has died on our behalf and for us. And so when we die with the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, in a sense you could argue that it's a type of martyrdom in the sense that we're bearing witness to his efficacious and most precious death that is helping us to be bound to him. And that he is even with us in death so that we might be with him for life everlasting. But Martyrdom is different, for sure, in the sense that it's not a sacrament, but it is bearing testimony to God in such a significant way, corporally and otherwise, that one is remitting all of their, or one has all of their temporal punishments remitted. Again, if you don't understand temporal punishments, please see our series on grace. Hopefully that is expressed and explained in a detailed way that is uh, very clear. But the anointing of the sick is oftentimes something, uh, a sacrament that that has another likeness to martyrdom in that it does remit many, and some even would argue all, temporal punishment. But that's not a direct teaching from Holy Mother Church, so I don't want us to think, well, as long as I get the anointing of the sick, I don't have to go to purgatory at all. But no that there is much help, not only in this life and how we deal with death here and now, but from this sacrament, there is much help in the life to come in helping us to avoid purgatory altogether, or at least helping a lot uh, in alleviating much of the time that we would spend in purgatory. Again, as you speak of time after this life, things get rather theologically difficult. But for simplicity, let us say that it alleviates some of the time that is uh, due as a result of our sins. Another is that a cure, it cure the, the cure of the spiritual debility caused by sin. So we've already kind of spoken about this in terms of the, the strength that it gives the soul, but specifically when it comes to the spiritual debility that is caused by sin. So not only are we remi- remitting temporal punishment, which is largely caused by sin, but in addition to that, we are also uh, getting this strength that is uh, to To combat against the the weakness or the debility caused by those sins, so sin darkens our intellect and weakens our will, it wounds our soul. This sacrament heals the effects of those sins, it strengthens the soul where sin has weakened it in the past. In the Roman catechism that is the catechism, excuse me the catechism of the Council of Trent. It says, quote, Another advantage of the sacred ocean is that it frees the soul from the languor and infirmity which it has contracted from sins and from all the other remains of sins, relics of sins in past uh, series. I have used that term. End quote. Because our souls are weakened by sin, we have a more difficult battle against the devil who comes to steal our soul from God. He wants to use and to abuse, and to take advantage of every weakness that we have. Weakness is caused by our own decisions. So it is rather beneficial for us to have this sacrament that strengthens us specifically in those areas that we have been weakened as a result of our own past decisions, so that those cannot be exploited to such a degree by the evil one. Remains of sin Those words, again, are relics of sin, include some or all temporal punishment, concupiscence, that is this disordered desire that has come as a result of original sin that we all deal with, wounds and attachments caused by sin, unconfessed, venial sins. So, again, just to reiterate, the remains of sin, this includes some or all temporal punishment, concupiscence, wounds and attachments caused by sin, and unconfessed, venial sins. So, this sacrament helps us with all of those. This sacrament can only forgive mortal sins in the event that a recipient is in a state that prevents him from confessing his sins, but he has imperfect contrition. However, if the patient recovers, he must go to the sacrament of penance to confess those mortal sins. The primary effect of the sacrament is not to forgive mortal sins. That is the primary effect of the sacrament of penance. However, by God's grace, it can be a means. So... Forgiveness of sins is another effect of this sacrament. Forgiveness of sins is another effect of this sacrament. And it does not require that the person be conscious of what is occurring and able to respond to the priest for this forgiveness of sins to be uh, fulfilled through this sacrament that also is a profound good. We should appreciate that so much that God is able to give us the forgiveness of sins and the remission of even mortal sins, that which separates us entirely, even when we're incapable of confessing our sins, to going to confession. So this is another reason why there's a connection between this sacrament and penance. It doesn't just alleviate and heal, but it also is a means of forgiveness of sins. Venial sins, most certainly, but even mortal sins in certain situations. Now, does this always resist, re- remit the mortal sins of a person who is not conscious? No. So, one, we need to say ideally, people are going to confession before the anointing of the sick takes place. That is what a priest should ask of the person. Do you need to go to confession? Have you been to confession recently? Are you in the state of grace? Are you able to receive this sacrament worthily and well? If the person says no, then you can continue with the sacrament of anointing, but that is a sad thing. People, please encourage not only your family members who perhaps have lived a very lukewarm Christian life, at the end of their life, this is their last chance to overcome that tepidity, to give themselves to God, to open themselves to his mercy. So not only work towards helping them to understand the importance of this sacrament and, that, and convince them to have a priest come to them, but also to go to confession. That sacrament is so helpful, and especially it is so helpful in conjunction with this sacrament. But for those that are not conscious those that cannot respond. Maybe I come into a room, there's a person, because of his illness, it's so grave, he's not able to stay awake for more than a few seconds. This has occurred. I've I've, I've encountered this situation before. I'm not going to keep pushing that person and waking them up and making them sit up and these kinds of things so that I can pull all their sins out of them. I realize that God is good. And so long as that person is in the proper disposition internally, then the sins, the mortal sins themselves would also be forgiven. So the physical weakness of that person who has who is incapable of staying awake to confess their sins is not something that will prevent God's mercy to be enacted through this sacrament in a very powerful way. However, if the person has lived their entire life or has lived the past few years or whatever of their life, to the extent that they're in this disposition where they just don't have that much desire for God, They don't have a strong spiritual life. They don't seek God, and they're not open to God. And then, they get because of some kind of illness, in a state where they're incapable of remaining conscious long enough to confess their sins. But as such, internally, they wouldn't confess their sins anyway. They're blind to God's graces. They continue to reject them or have done so to the extent that their heart is so hardened that we cannot argue that this sacrament is miraculous to the extent that it's just going to wipe out all of the mortal sins of a person that doesn't even desire truly to give of themselves to God and to forgive, to be forgiven of those sins. And so we don't want to say that the forgiveness of sins belongs so much to this sacrament that no matter what, every sin, venial mortal, is going to be forgiven when a priest comes. That's not what the church teaches. It can forgive mortal sins, and it will forgive the venial sins, so long as it's received worthily. But it can receive even forgive mortal sins when it's received unworthily, in the sense that they're not in the state of grace, but they're disposed internally in a way that they would go to confession, would have confessed their sins, and if the person recovers, they they, they still need to go and confess every one of those mortal sins in the sacrament of confession. Anyway. So, as we can see, there there are so many goods that come, so many powerful effects that are offered in this sacrament. The primary effect of the sacrament, again, is not to forgive mortal sins. However, by God's grace, it can be a means to do so depending on the circumstances. Conditional healing of the body. Conditional healing of the body. This is another effect. People might say, well, I've been around several different family members that got the anointing of the sick and they weren't healed. They all died. Conditional healing of the body. Many have been healed physically as a result of this sacrament. If God so wills it, when it is expedient for the salvation of the soul, when it is expedient for the salvation of the soul, that is such an important part of this particular effect, then God can use this as a means to heal the body. This can come in various ways. So, many might argue, and I think perhaps correctly so, that it's not so much miraculous healings that come as a result of this sacrament, even though I think other people very rightly argue that it it, it certainly has been a means of miraculous healings in the past. But others might argue that predominantly, this sacrament can offer healing again is in a way in which we've kind of already explained because it's so spiritually enriching it can strengthen and fortify and bring consolation to the soul to the extent that that bleeds over into one's emotional life and then even into one's physical life that our attitude towards various illnesses can make a big difference that if we are broken down mentally and emotionally we're exhausted and physically we're just we're just so beaten by some 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 illness that we're just in a sense, incapable of fighting the illness, we're incapable of having a positive outlook that helps us and, and inspires us and gives us energy to 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 for our body that that is necessary in, in, in its immunity and et cetera, then basically a, a, an illness is going to have its way with us. But in certain circumstances, in certain ways, when we have this this, this incredible gift from god that strengthens the soul to the extent that, that like i said bleeds into our emotional and physical life that certainly can can move us and change the momentum of what's occurring so that even our emotional state can be changed to the extent that that affects our physical ability to heal itself our bodily ability to heal itself does this happen frequently or predominantly or the majority of time no not arguing any of that. I'm saying it's most certainly happened. It will happen again. It's happened several times. There's many priests that have seen, as I said, also miraculous healings as well. But it's conditional healing of the body. This is only when God sees fit according to his will because he knows this person's not ready to die yet or the healing of this person will bring about the salvation of X amount of other people and therefore I'm going to allow it. These kinds of things. So when it's spiritually beneficial, we never want to take the sacraments as something that are, that are that is benefiting us physically. That's not the purpose of the sacraments. The purpose of the sacraments are to unite us forever to God, to give glory to God, to save souls, our souls included in that. But God can also bring about physical and emotional and psychological benefits as a result of the sacraments, even though spiritual benefit is always the primary purpose and reason. So when it's spiritually beneficial, and God sees that that's the case for us or and or for others, then he can allow a physical healing to take place. Another reason why families should have the priest come to anoint their loved ones who are in the danger of death. So, just to reiterate some of the ways in which this can happen. Again, the sacrament can stimulate the natural powers of health that aid in the recovery of the body or the supernatural healing of the soul, increase in strength, comfort, and alleviation, all lend themselves to better condition for recovery. Secondly, in the event that physical healing is not granted, the gift of final perseverance is also an effect of the sacrament. Secondly, in the event that physical healing is not granted, the gift of final perseverance is also an effect of the sacrament. That is, if we knew no other effect of the sacrament, that is, most certainly, (laughs) um, All that would be necessary for us to long for and love and cherish and appreciate and and, and seek out this sacrament whenever we are a recipient properly disposed, meaning that we have that begun to be in the danger of death, etc. In the event that physical healing is not granted, the gift of final perseverance is also an effect of the sacrament. Why I say that's so important is because the gift of final perseverance is the gift of remaining in the state of grace through death. In other words, God will give us the grace to remain firmly implanted in Him. That is why it's called the gift of final perseverance. You, per, you persevere all the way to the end, to the final parts and moments of your life in God, through God, by God. And so in this sacrament, that most particular and special grace that all of us literally every day should pray for the gate, for the grace of final perseverance is granted as a means, as an effect of one of of the effects of this sacrament. As we look at and just recap very briefly some of these effects, try to grasp truly how profound, how useful they are. Through the anointing of the sick, we receive an increase of sanctifying grace. We actually can receive sanctifying grace itself in the event that we're in a mortal sin, but internally properly disposed to be, uh, to confess our sins in our mortal sins. And so because one of the effects is the remission of sins, even mortal sins, when the circumstances are right, then it's not only an increase of sanctifying grace, but it can also be the way in which we receive sanctifying grace. It gives us alleviation and strength, spiritually especially, but as a result of the alleviation and the strength that occurs spiritually, we are better able to fight the battle against Satan, also to be less affected by all of the different things that the demonic do. This also bleeds into a greater strength and capacity emotionally and physically to be able to to to, uh, encounter and endure the difficulties that come with the illness. One more emphasis on that though, because I feel like perhaps I've, I've, I've killed this horse. It's a dead horse at this point, but I'm going to beat it one more time. This horse. And that is this alleviation and the strength that is, that is received as a result of this spiritual benefit, this sacrament that can bleed over physically, etc. Another reason why it can be so efficacious psychologically and emotionally and physically is because we have no idea how much we are affected by the demonic world. We don't know how much they're able to affect us, not just spiritually, but also because of the mood that they put a room in, because of the difficulties, because of the way in which we perceive things, because of the imagination and and, and the memories that are brought up as a result of their malevolent work. So the stronger that we are spiritually, the less affected we're going to be by their junk that they're sending this way, on a physical and emotional and spiritual level, and on a psychological level. Altogether. together. Likewise, the anointing of the sick is something that is very much related to confirmation in its strength-giving capacity as well as penance in its healing and forgiveness of sin's capacity. There's also the remission of temporal punishment. And so, all of those relics or remains of sin is something that benefits us are or, or, or things that are cleansed or healed As a result of this sin. Not necessarily all of them, but it can be all of them, if God so wills. The cure of spiritual debility that has been caused by sins. Likewise, this sacrament can forgive venial and even mortal sins, depending on the situation. And there is a conditional healing of the body, and when the body is not healed, the gift and grace of final perseverance is offered. In our next episode, we will speak on more practical purposes. So we'll still continue a little bit with the theologies, considering the, the recipient and what is properly disposed in these kinds of things. But then I want to get into when we should use this sacrament. I want everyone here, whoever sees these videos, to know at least to have an idea of when they should be calling the, a priest for the anointing of the sick for themselves. Or for other people. And also when not to. Because the more that that is understood by y'all, then the easier it is for priests to have a, to, to have less opportunities to give the sacrament when we really shouldn't give the sacrament. Because at times, there's situations with life being so muddied in various situations and occasions that... It can be hard to kind of evaluate whether I should or should not give the sacrament of the anointing in this in this situation. And generally, you're going to lead towards giving the sacrament more often than not. But the more that we all understand uh, about the clarity that the church has provided in terms of giving and not giving the sacrament, then hopefully the easier it is for us to both appreciate as well as protect this sacrament rather than to misuse it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, most holy Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we pray to you, one God, Holy Trinity, giving you glory and gratitude for all that you do, for all that you continue to do, all that you will do towards our salvation. We ask you to make us receptive and to cooperate with every movement that you give towards our salvation. Bless all of those most near death and help their loved ones to have the wherewithal to call the priest and to have them receive the most holy anointing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.